Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from the Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwink. Sarah Abbott is working from the Sarah Abbott Studios, which I believe today are in Bristol. And I'm Buster Only working from my home in Montana. Guys, pretty fired up. Guess who we have today? How about the greatest player ever? Ever? Ever, Buster? Of yes. all time? What are you talking about? Mike Trout is the greatest player ever, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to be talking with him about the guy having what I think is the greatest season ever, Aaron Judge. Uh, so that uh, I'm looking forward to that, but i am also got some other questions about his fandom as well. Yeah, I heard, I heard he's a Philly guy. He was at the Eagles game, very enthusiastic about it. Maybe we can get Kevin Nagani to listen and and share some notes here, uh, a couple of Philly dudes. But uh, yeah, very excited to have him on. Great hunting him down, Buster. You really stuck on it. You, you wanted him on the show, and we made it happen. Well, and I'm going to ask him whether or not his superstition is the reason why he didn't come on the podcast last week when we made the initial ask, uh, because, of course, he had that uh, you know, that streak of home runs, and he didn't want to interfere with that. We'll, we'll get him on the record about all that. Uh, and with Judge on the brink of setting the American League record for homers, we asked two announcers whose voices may be cemented in history in the days ahead how they are preparing for that moment. First, let's get to what's happening in the other divisions. The Guardians are wrapping up the American League Central, it feels like. They beat the White Sox 10-7 to yesterday with help from Miles Straw. Now the 2-2. Swung in, yanked to left field, base hit down the line. It'll go to the wall. That'll score Jimenez and Miller. Straw hits second, big turn, holds with a double. That was Tom Hamilton on WTAM 1100. A week ago, we were talking about how Bob Melvin was being very critical of the Padres players. He didn't like the effort. He didn't like the process they were going through. Well, since then, they've stabilized. They beat the Cardinals yesterday 5-0 with help from Juan Soto. Swung on line drive, heading towards right field. It's going to be a base hit. Rounding home, heading for home is Jerickson Profar. On the RBI single by Juan Soto. Padres lead it 5 to nothing. That from 97.3, the fan. The Blue Jays and the Phillies reprise what it felt like a game from the 1993 World Series. You know, for those who don't remember, there was a World Series game that finished with a 15-14 to 14 score. Toronto beating the Phillies. It was a little bit of that yesterday. More runners in scoring, or more at-bats with the runners in scoring position tonight than in the game against the Red Sox. Jackie Bradley Jr. hits it out. And they are loving it in that third base dugout. Bradley gets a chance for an at-bat and makes the most of it to make it 18-10. So the Blue Jays beat up the Phillies 18-11, and we're seeing the Phillies fading as we're going toward the end of the regular season. Rob Thompson, the Phillies interim manager, was asked if he's concerned about this five-game losing streak. No, I don't think so. Not with this group. I really don't. Um, we got good character people in the, in the clubhouse, and, and um, they're always upbeat, um, even though even today when we were down, they were you know, a lot of energy in the dugout. Uh, helping each other out, had everybody had each other's back, and, and uh, they fought. So I'm not too worried about that. I think we're just going through a little bit of a dry spell, that's all. Rob Thompson, who's got a reputation being very even-keeled, 
Certainly, you could feel that in that voice. Here's Bryce Harper talking about the Phillies' struggles against good teams. I mean, anytime you can win games, it doesn't matter who you play, um, or when you're losing games. I mean, it doesn't matter who you play. It's it's Major League Baseball, and you know when you when you run into you know anybody that plays um, you know professionally, it's it's going to be a tough game no matter what. So you know if we beat up on somebody that's not very good, or if we beat on beat on somebody that's you know, really good, you know, wins a win, a loss is a loss. And Bryce cut to the chase about what's ahead for the Phillies. I mean, I think, you know, we're at the point where we need to win games. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're at a crucial point in the season where we have to show up every single night that we play, uh, no matter what, no matter who's over there or, or what's going on. So, um, you know, like you said, we're in, we're in a tough stretch right now. Uh, hopefully we can flush this as, as quick as possible. One of the teams chasing the Phillies, the Milwaukee Brewers, played host to the Mets yesterday, and it was a good day for Francisco Lindor. First pitch. Lindor smacks it deep to left center field. Yelich is back. He looks up. So long. Grand slam. Francisco Lindor. The Mets take the lead in the top of the seventh. It's seven to four in Milwaukee. That from WCBS. The Mets win the game seven to five. They, of course, began the day with a one-game lead over the Braves in the National League East in what is developing to be the best race remaining on the board. The Atlanta Braves faced the Nationals yesterday and got help from Travis Darnell. Ramirez's first pitch to him is socked to left center and deep, arcing back toward the wall. That one is gone. Two-run home run, Travis Darnell. And the Braves grab the lead in the fourth inning, two to nothing. That from 680, the fan, the Braves are going to win with help from Dansby Swanson, who hit a home run, three to two over Washington. So Atlanta... Still one game behind the Mets in the NL East. Well, at Yankee Stadium last night, the Pirates, the Yankees. And early on, you kind of wondered if the Pirates are going to pitch to Aaron Judge. He came up in the bottom of the ninth inning, leading off, and this is what happened. Here's the 3-1. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. That was Michael Kay's call on the Yes Network of Judge's 60th home run. Here was how John Sterling called that home run at WFAN. Here's the 3-1. Swung on that. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. He's tied the Babe. It's a Judgean blast. His 60th home run of the year. Wow. Yeah, so John Sterling, Michael K. making calls there. We're going to be talking with them in just a moment about their calls whenever Judge hits number 61, number 62, and how they prepare for that moment. Now, it, with that game last night, you know, Aaron Judge's uh, home run made it 8-5 to five Pittsburgh. Well, the Yankees' rally continued. They had another hit. They loaded the bases. John Carlos Stanton came to the plate. Swung on, drilled the deep left. That ball is going to be gone. A grand slam to win the game. A no one out, bases loaded, grand slam, bottom of the ninth. And the Yankees have come back in the ninth inning with five runs to win the game 9-8. Stanton finally delivered a bullet line drive in the left field seats. Giancarlo 
Nosy Boscopalo. A Stantonian home run. Here was Aaron Judge after the game talking about what number 60 means to him. It's tough to say because you don't, like I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't think about it. I don't think about the numbers. And, you know, when you talk about Ruth and Maris and Mantle and all these, you know, Yankees greats that, you know, did so many great things in this game. You know, you, know, you never imagine as a kid, you know, getting mentioned with them. But, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible honor, you know, and, um, you know, something I don't take lightly, light, lightly at all. Um, but... You know, we're not done. We still got a couple of games left in this in this season, and you know, hopefully, a couple more wins come with them. He was asked about whether he's comfortable with the added attention. Get a chance to play baseball at Yankee Stadium, you know, in a packed house, you know, on a first place team. You know, that's what you dream about. You know, it's I, I love every second of it. You know, even when we're down, you know, you don't like losing. But I knew, you know, with the top of the lineup coming up, you know, we got a shot to come back here and do something special. So, you know, I'm. I'm trying to enjoy it all, you know, and soak it all in. But I know I still got a job to do out on the field every single day. And, you know, I just got to keep my head down and keep preparing and, you know, stay mentally focused. After Judge's home run, his teammates basically nudged him out for a curtain call. Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, talked about the curtain call. Yeah, I mean, a little bit, but I, I, I tried to right away tell him to get, get out there because, um, you know, as much as anything, I wanted I knew Rizzo was waiting on him and just wanted to get it get it over with. So um, I think he did it more than anything uh, to, you know, to not be a distraction to Riz. In the second half of this season, Aaron Judge is batting 372 with a 506 on base percentage and 853 slugging percentage. He's played in 54 games and has 27 homers. 54 games, 27 homers. Taylor, you can't beat that. No, <laughs> no, no, you cannot. Uh, I'm really uh, interested to hear what the, uh, you know, we're, all this judge talk. We're going to have uh, Mike Trout on to talk Aaron Judge to hear what people think about his take on that. So that's coming up in just a moment. Real quickly, I want to promote noted Mariners fan Mina Kimes and her podcast, The Mina Kimes Show, featuring Lenny twice a week, wherever you listen to your podcast, as well as on YouTube. Check that out. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. 
They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Mike Trout plays center field for the Angels, of course. You know that. What you also know is that he is a fan of the Eagles. And, Mike, I didn't realize when I asked to schedule this that uh, last night your Eagles would play my Vikings, and I really hope you take mercy upon me. Yeah, that, uh, that didn't end well with uh, for the Vikings fans. My, the Eagles look good, though, man. We got to give it to them. Looking good. I know it's early. It's early, but uh, they're playing. they're playing good. Yeah, I, I get a feel for you enough to know that when uh, you have teammates who are rooting for teams and your team beats their team, you're probably pretty merciless, yes? Uh, I mean, you got to let them know every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's all fun, man. It's uh, obviously, uh, you know, we're, we come to the field every day. You know, we talk baseball, baseball, but when other sports come into play, it's, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have – you know, we're fans of all sports, so it's it's good to talk some trash every once in a while. All right. How did you become an Eagles fan, and who was your guy growing up? Uh, probably my dad uh, got me into it. Obviously, being close to Philly, uh, I was a big Philly sports fan, so um, probably have to be my father. And then, uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, Westbrook, Dawkins, um, there's a lot of guys that uh, I liked, um, but that's just the way, the way they played, and Especially Dawkins, you know, uh, playing on that defense. So I, I, I like watching him play. Yeah, he's about as fearless an athlete as I've ever seen in my life. I remember talking with him when he worked at ESPN about that. Uh, you know, tell me what drew him to drew uh, him to you. Yeah, I, th- I just think the the passion he had when he was on the field. You know, I think he he played every every down. Uh, you know, full hundred percent, and uh, he was bringing the energy every day. And you know, even before the game, um, you know, hyping up the crowd, hyping up his teammates, and uh, you know, it was fun to watch. I always thought that if you wanted to play another sport, that that would be your place, that you would be the next Brian Dawkins with the speed and the size. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's, I, I obviously love football. Uh, definitely, you know, it's, you know, being on the field um, as a fan now uh, for, you know, watching the Eagles games in the offseason. It's, uh, man, people are, the, 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 the guys that are, you know, coming out of that tunnel, man, they're, they're getting bigger and stronger every year. So it's, uh, it's, 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 it'd be tough out there for sure. Who's your college team that you root for and why? Uh, I don't really have a college team. Um, obviously I was committed to ECU, so I, I follow them every once in a while. Um, but, uh, I root against whoever, whoever's playing Oklahoma. Cause that's what my boy Garrett, he's always hyping up the Sooners. So uh, I just whoever, whoever they play against, I root against them. So, all right, tell me about a golfer that you root for and why. Uh, big Tiger fan. I don't think anybody uh, hates Tiger. Um, just uh, I love golf. Um, he was a guy I followed growing up, and um, you know all the stuff. Obviously, he's accomplished on the on the golf course. So uh, at some point, because you're a star, have you ever gotten a chance to to play around with him or gotten a chance to talk with him? I haven't. Um, it's definitely on the list of things I, I want to do. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of these off seasons, if I run into him or he sets something up, it'd be definitely, uh, something to, it'd be pretty cool to experience for sure. Nice. Uh, all right. What, I mean, I've heard legends of how far you can hit a golf ball. Can you please, <laughs> please correct the record? 
Uh, how far I can hit it? It depends. I mean, if if I'm up there swinging as hard as I can, I can I can hit it pretty good. It just depends on how straight it'll go. All um, right. What's the longest drive you figure you've hit then? Uh, I probably I probably can get one over at 400, probably. Man, <laughs> hit a couple. Hit a couple. If it's if the wind's blowing, you know, with me, get up in that jet stream. Do you imagine when you get done playing, this is something you'll be doing on a regular basis? For sure. For sure. All right. Uh, so let's talk about Aaron Judge. The whole sport's talking about Aaron Judge. Uh, tell me what you think that he's done better during the course of his career, how he's improved. Uh, you, when you see him as a hitter, uh, and he's obviously taking his performance to the next level this year, what do you see in him? Yeah, I just think he's hitting the ball at all fields. I mean, he's on – He's on every pitch, you know, you throw him. You know, when he when he was um, – when we faced him in uh, Anaheim, uh, you know, anything you threw to him, you know, he, you were throwing him in, he was pulling it, and then you threw one up and away, and it was sitting in the, in the seats to the right center. So uh, just the, the the plate coverage, obviously he's a big guy, um, but it's uh, – I'm obviously happy for him, just uh, the way he's, you know, transitioned to the player he is. You know, he's a, he's a superstar for sure. What's the level of difficulty uh, that you see in terms of what he's doing this year? It's up there. I mean, it's to do it consistently like that, obviously playing in New York um, definitely adds a little factor to that. Um, but just the, the consistency, you know, staying healthy and uh, just performing like that, you know, it seems like every day he's hitting, either hitting a homer or getting two hits. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. It's good for baseball. And, you know, I think, you know, he bet on himself, and that's 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 even more, I think, uh, you know, to obviously turning down that contract and, you know, have, seeing him go out there and put up these numbers, it's uh, it's it's impressive. Yeah, I, I you know, that's, that's what's jumped out at me. Uh, you know, we talked on Sunday Night Baseball the other day. I mentioned that I, I really feel like that hitting, and, you know, here I am having never taken a plate appearance in the big leagues. My sense is, is the way the relievers are used, that hitting has never been more difficult than it is right now. I mean, from your perspective, from the time you started to now, how much more difficult is it is for somebody to do what he's doing? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, obviously real difficult. Um, you got analytics now. You got machines that can, you know, you, for pitchers that can um, show you, you know, grip, more spin rate, or not spin rate, but like uh, horizontal break, vertical break, just stuff they can use in the in the, uh, in the in their bullpen and in, in practice that they can take into the field. You know, it's, and, and guys are throwing, you know, 96 plus now. A lot of it's, uh, you know, I first came in the league, everybody was, you know, 80, you had a few guys that were throw 100, but, you know, majority of the guys were, you know, 88, 91. And now it's, you know, the average, I think, speed is like over 92, 93. So um, it's, like you said, it's, it's definitely harder now because um, the pitching is getting that much better. Uh, compare Shohei Otani as a, as a player in 2021 to what you're seeing in 2022. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable what he's doing. Um, for me, obviously, he hit. I, know, I think he was over forty. Or did he hit? He hit forty last year. Forty home runs. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think on the on the hitting side, he obviously is performing a little less. But then on the pitching side, he's he's more dominant as he was last year. I think he's figured it's it's pretty impressive what he's doing. Obviously at the plate and on the mound, but what he's doing on the mound is, it's pretty incredible. He's learning new pitches. He's, he's throwing, you know, I think uh, we played the Mariners the other day and he threw like 
five different shaped sliders. And, uh, you know, it, it was just uh, incredible. And now he's throwing that sinker at, you know, 100 with, you know, 20 inches of horizontal break. <laughs> I mean, that's – you keep adding pitches like that to that, to that arsenal, it's, uh, he's going to be tough to hit. So, um, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. It's – I mean, you, you, I've never seen anything like it. All right, that recent stretch of, uh, of home runs in seven straight games – um, you know, given the physical issues you had early this year, how, how big was that for you, you think, as you guys wind down in 2022? It was big. I mean, obviously, the, the main goal was when I came back is just to finish strong. Um, you know, we got, I think, two, two, two more weeks left, I think 15, 15 more games. So, you know, I'm just trying to take some momentum in the offseason, finish, finish healthy. And obviously, that stretch was uh, much needed because, you know, I think, you know, the time – you know, I lost, I think it was like 40, 41 games or something. Um, you know, it was tough, obviously, not being out there. But, you know, being able to come back and put up some good numbers, it's uh, it means a lot to me. It's just a, a good, um, you know, mental thing for me, knowing that my back's good and obviously physically. So uh, when I put in the request to the Angels to have you come on the podcast, I, I it didn't really dawn on me or it never occurred to me. I'm like, you know what, I'm asking him to come on the podcast right in the middle of a streak and so when I got back answers, uh, you know what? He wants to wait till he gets home. I thought to myself, well, yeah, I think he doesn't want to talk about any of this while this is going on. Is that fair to say? Uh, I don't think that even came up in my mind, but I was talking about this to a lot of guys. Um, you know, I think. Oh, really? No, not about the podcast or anything, but about like streaks in general right. uh, for baseball. So. Obviously, I was on a seven-game homer streak, and it was after you know three in a row. It was every day talking about it, and it's it's hard, you know, because I'm. I mean, I I would be lying if I didn't tell you the last at bat when I obviously it was a I hit seven in a row in the last at bat. You know, I was definitely in the back of my mind like, hey, I got to go deep here. So, <laughs> kind of messed me up a little bit because you know the, the previous seven I was just going out there and, and, and playing, but. Uh, you know, with, with everybody, you know, talking about it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it'd be hard, you know, for, for the hit streak, that, that home streak, you know, cause it's always in the back of your mind instead of just going out there and playing. Yeah. And you got idiots like me asking you about it before and after every game <laughs> <laughs> you do that. All right, Mike. I, hey, I appreciate your time. No problem. Anytime. Enjoy that new lodge and a ranch up in Montana. I've never been out <laughs> there. So it's, uh, sounds, sounds peaceful out there. So. It'll be a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. 
Michael Kay is the play-by-play man on Yankees games on the Yes Network. And, Michael, you were to be joined today, as scheduled by John Sterling, play-by-play man on Yankees games and WFAN, your longtime partner before you uh, moved over to television. And I suspect you probably are not surprised at 1030 that he didn't answer his phone. I mean, what's that line from Casablanca? I'm shocked that there's gambling in this establishment. Shocked. <laughs> tell me tell me why you're confident about that. I, and I will tell, in, in all fairness to John, when I talked to him on the phone the other day about doing this with you, uh, he mentioned to me, like, his first reaction was, 1030? That's kind of early. Well, you know, for those, you know, we'll lift the curtain here. Buster sent out a text to me and John asking if we would come on the podcast today. And I just texted Buster back. I said, John doesn't text. John actually has a flip phone. And ever since I've known John, you know, I worked with him for 10 years. You know, so that, that was 1992. He started, he, he sleeps. I mean, he sleeps until noon every single day. So if you would have gotten him up at 10 o'clock, that would have been a shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't get him up at 10 o'clock. We didn't get him up at 1030. Uh, and so we'll move ahead with you. I know you have a busy day ahead. I wanted to ask both of you guys, I'll, I'll leave it for you, uh, about Aaron Judge. He hit uh, home run number 60 last night on the 2022 season. He could hit number 61 and 62 tonight. So how do you prepare for these moments? Like, what's your thought process, you know, as the day goes along and you know that it's inevitable that he's going to set this record? How do you do that? Well, I mean, you don't want to script calls, Buster, because when you do, you really get into trouble. I've seen guys script calls and actually have them written out on cards, and, and it just doesn't sound organic, and um, sometimes you stumble over it. And some of the biggest announcers in, in our business do that, and I've never liked to do it. I think the moment dictates what you should say. But that being said, you think about certain guardrails that you want to have in the call, things that you want to hit on, you know, you want to be able to uh, – uh, contextualize what he's doing, uh, put it into perspective historically, but the exact words, now you, you really don't do that, but you do, you, you, you kind of have an idea because this is something that you knew was going to happen for the last two weeks. I've thought about it. I don't know what I will say if you hit 61 tonight, but I've got a general idea of some of the things I want to touch on. What about 60? How did you prepare for that? What was your thought going into that? What were the guardrails that you prepared for? The guardrails pretty much were, you know, you got to connect them to Babe Ruth. And so when the thing happened, um, you know, the, just the, the phrase slide over Babe came into my head. That, was, that wasn't that was planned. But I knew that I wanted to connect them to Babe Ruth and the historical context of the number 60 and what that meant. So I think I did that. And, uh, you know, so far, uh, you know, I, I'm not roasted on social media for it. So I guess I did an okay job. Now, because Judge said it feels like in multi-home run games repeatedly, did you go into last night with some guardrails for potentially number 61 in your mind? Mm, I, I thought about, you know, for, the, for a while now, 60, 61, and 62. So I've got those guardrails in place. Uh, but, um, you know, on a selfish note for, for, you know, the Yes Network, Buster, I, I would like it that I, I was hoping that it would happen yesterday or today. So if he doesn't hit two today, in all likelihood, we're not we're not going to get a chance to do the game. You know, tomorrow's on Fox, and then Friday's on Apple TV. Uh, then we go back on the air on Saturday, and then then it's Sunday Night Baseball uh, on ESPN. So we really have a, you know one shot today because if he doesn't do it today, I mean there, there haven't been that many games. I mean there've been a few that he's gone homerless. You know, three games in a row. So um, I, I think if he doesn't do it today, I could throw those guardrails away because I don't think we'll get a chance to do it. 
Okay. Well, and you know me, I'm being selfish. I'm hoping he, he hits 61 or 62 on Sunday night baseball during our game when you're going to be doing uh, K-Rod with Alex. Right. And then I'll just do those calls then, you know, we usually don't do play by play, but when judge comes up, obviously we can't be in the middle of uh, Alex talking with, you know, Roger Clemens about, you know, how to throw a splitter. You know, you got to kind of just move that aside. And, you know, when, when history is about to be made, obviously you have to concentrate on that. So I'll kind of get a quasi call on Sunday if it goes to Sunday. So as I've thought about this and process, what judge is doing his second half numbers, 372 batting average, 506 on base percentage, 853 uh, slugging percentage in an era in which offensive nines have uh, offensive uh, numbers have steadily declined. Uh, I, I think it's the greatest offensive performance in baseball history. And I know, it's, you know, we certainly, I could be guilty of recency bias. We're amazed by what he's doing, but considering where the sport has gone with his parade of relievers and everyone throwing a hundred miles per hour, I don't think it's outrageous to say that. What do you think? I, I, I would say it's in the discussion. I don't know if I, I'd say it was a top, but it's certainly one of the greatest offensive seasons. You know, you look at what Ruth did in 27, the numbers are better, and he was doing stuff that the rest of the sport wasn't doing either. But you almost look at Judge right now, Buster, as, as a throwback. You know, his, his highlights could be in black and white because haven't we given up hope on a big, you know, burly home run hitter hitting 300? I mean, usually those guys now hit 220, 210, and you just accept it. It's, you know, it's part of the, uh, the arrangement with the devil. You know, you want to hit home runs, you got to strike out a lot, no, and you don't have a really high average. He has defied that. He's he become a complete hitter, and to be totally honest, seeing all of his at-bats in the second half, Buster, he's had no protection whatsoever. The Yankee lineup has been besieged with injuries. Uh, the people that are healthy haven't been hitting behind him. I'm still shocked to this day that he gets to see as many pitches as he does, and he's not intentionally walked more than he is. It, it made no sense. That was the one guy in the Yankee lineup that could hurt you. And you know what? Every time he had a chance to hurt you, he did. And also, if it wasn't for Aaron Judge in the second half of the season, the Yankees would have, in fact, blown the biggest lead in the history of baseball. They would have blown that 15-and-a-half game lead. He kept their head above water. So what he's doing has been magnificent, again, in the context of what the sport has become and also what the Yankees were in the second half, that if you if you extrapolate his last 54 games and you just triple it, he ends up with 78 home runs. And, he again, most of that's been done with without any backup, without a guy that you're afraid to pitch to behind him. Yeah, in this moment, uh, watching that game last night, uh, it does feel like that the pitchers are increasingly being bullied by the crowd in the moment. Because <laughs> if they throw a ball out of the zone, the crowd boos. I remember that happened a little bit with McGuire and Sosa in the ballpark. Did it feel like that? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the pitch right before he hit the home run was up and in. And then the crowd yep. really got angry. So uh, maybe maybe that flustered the pitcher just a bit. And then, and then Judge hits one. 430 feet again it's just uh, amazing i guess the thing that allowed judge to get that swing last night buster they're losing eight four he's leading off the inning so even if he hits the ball to the grand concourse what does it mean other than you know you're a footnote in history which is exactly what happened but those are the opportunities that i guess he gets to get to be pitched to uh, otherwise if it's if it's an eight seven game uh, i think that they're very careful with him and probably put him on yeah, the catcher set up behind home plate over the heart of the plate on that target before uh, he hit number 60. Before you go, we talked about broadcast moments. What's your favorite in a milestone that jumps to mind, the best you've ever heard? Overall, 
As a baseball uh, fan, know, what's I, your favorite milestone moment? I really, you know, people looked at Phil Rizzuto as a guy that had stick, but when it was a really big moment, um, Phil Rizzuto really brought it, and I thought that his call on on Maris the 61st was, was really outstanding as well. But, you know, on a broader sense, I just got goosebumps uh, when Joe Buck was calling the World Series and said the exact same thing that his dad did. Um, when Kirby Puckett hit the home run and then uh, when the, the home run was hit, I guess it was the Cardinals and the Rangers, I believe. Uh, yep. And when he said, we'll see you again tomorrow, that, that was just a phenomenal call channeling his dad. All right, Michael. Well, have fun tonight. Uh, I'm, my fingers are crossed for you, but I'm also selfish. So we'll see I what love happens. Selfish. I can appreciate selfish, Buster. You heard Michael K. reference Phil Rizzuto's call of Roger Maris's 61st homer. Well, here's that call. Here comes Roger Maris. Just standing up, waiting to see if Maris is going to hit number 61. Here's the windup. Fastball hit deep to right. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing? Doing well, Buster. How goes it by you? I'm doing well. I'm on Albert Pujols and, and Aaron Judge Watch, as you can imagine. You know, you have all these uh, conditional appearances on different shows. If this, uh, you know, Albert gets a 700 if Judge gets to 62, then, you know, you need to be ready to to jump on a plane, that sort of thing. Uh, you, Todd, you and I were talking beforehand about Albert and how he looks good in a Cardinals uniform. You, you kind of wonder, is, is Aaron Judge watching any of that, do you think? And, and maybe seeing how Albert, you know, left the Cardinals and now he's come back and he's uh, been welcomed with an open arms as Judge gets ready to make this decision about whether to stay with the Yankees? It's a great question, Buster, and only he knows, of course. And I do think that it's probably something to be said for younger players who have never had that sniff of free agency, never played anywhere else. But Albert, of course, has his sojourn in Southern California, comes back to uh, to to the, the heartland after a little detour in L.A., and I cannot help but think of the fact that as he – Closes in on history, and I hope he gets it. Um, he looks just so good in a Cardinals uniform, Buster, because, you know, you can look at him today in 2022, and I think about him in 2001, certainly, but, you know, right when he hit uh, stride in the World Series against Boston in 2004, he looks great as a Cardinal. And to your point, Judge, you know, in that Yankee uniform, a guy of that size, just looks right. Some guys look great in some uniforms. All right. Tell me a guy who you think in, in baseball history, you can go outside of baseball. Give me a, an athlete, a superstar athlete who just didn't look right in another uniform. Well, there are a couple of them. I mean, 
you know, we, we close our eyes and we think of certain guys, especially Hall of Famers, uh, enshrined in Cooperstown in bronze in the case of baseball. Mike Piazza as an Oakland A or Frank Thomas as an Oakland A. Piazza with, with, with the Padres. Harden Killebrew as a Kansas City Royal would be another one. Uh, and I know I got you, one for you. Yeah, let's hear it. How about Randy Johnson in a Yankee uniform? <laughs> yeah, that was that was a strange detour. You talk about detours. That was a weird one. But then again, you know, he won 300 as a giant, did he not? Well, that the, the fact that it's even a question tells you something, right? Yes. John <laughs> Smoltz as a Cardinal or a Red Sox. Yeah. Uh, uh, how about Tom Glavin with the Mets? Right? Yeah, Tom, Gl- Tom Glavin had three years with the Mets, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Pedro Martinez with the Mets. Yeah. And I guess as someone who grew up in New England, I never felt right about Carlton Fisk wearing a White Sox uniform, even though, as it turned out, he played more game with the White Sox than he did the Red Sox. Yeah, it still looks strange, no question about it. And you're right, and you and I probably both know White Sox people, fans, members of uh, the organization that will bring that up the second you bring that up. But it's true, and I think there's a great football one that you and I were chatting about that that you had mentioned. Yeah, Joe Namath. Finishing his career with the Rams, mostly on his back. Yeah. Because uh, he couldn't move as much. You're like, no, Joe Namath needed to be in a jet uniform his whole career. Can you imagine, like, Taylor, can you imagine if, like, uh, Cal Ripken had finished up with the Marlins or something like that? No, no. Come on, Buster. No. I'm about to eat dinner. You're going to make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get to this week's Phantom franchise. All right, Buster. The year was 1981. The Pittsburgh Pirates. We're battling in court with the city of Pittsburgh about lease terms and maintenance issues at their ballpark, Three Rivers Stadium. The Pirates claim to have lost $7 million as tenants of the stadium, where they had been having problems drawing fans despite their consistent record of success on the field. The club argued that the stadium had been shoddily built a decade earlier and that promised infrastructure improvements around the facility were never delivered. The Pirates engaged a structural engineer who issued a report that outlined examples of deteriorating concrete, rusted steel supports, and electrical issues, all of which the Buckos had to help pay to repair. Bucks owner Dan Galbraith said, we cannot live with our lease, noting that officials of the New Orleans Superdome had approached him about a potential move, reaching out about the dome's possibilities at an exhibition game against the Yankees in New Orleans. The Superdome guys picked it up and we want to see what kind of deal we can make, said Galbraith. We are having a bad time in Pittsburgh. If the judge rules the lease is invalid because of its shortcomings, I have got to think about a lot of alternatives. There is no question any major league club cannot live with this lease. If they don't make some adjustment, baseball cannot live there, meaning Pittsburgh. The Superdome was constructed with the possibility of hosting an MLB team in mind, and even though New Orleans' population was about half of that of Pittsburgh at the time, the potential move was seen as something that made sense. Pirates management met with Cliff Wallace, GM of the Superdome, to discuss the situation. They held a press conference afterwards, and Wallace brought his own tape recorder to ensure that he would not be misquoted. That's one way to do it. His carefully crafted talking points included a nod to the fact that the Pirates indicated that they wanted to stay in the Steel City. Superdome spokesman Bill Curl said, and I quote, we don't want to mislead the people in New Orleans to believe we have the ball club. It's a long way from that. But the fact is, something could come out of it. 
He added that the stadium and New Orleans would be perfect for a major league team, adding, quote, to get an established team like the Pirates would be a godsend. Fans at an April Pirates home game were spotted wearing T-shirts that read New Orleans Pirates. Meanwhile, the city of Pittsburgh filed a federal lawsuit which sought to restrain New Orleans from trying to lure the club to Louisiana. MLB players went on a 50-day strike, and as the year dragged on, Galbraith turned his focus to Denver, which he pronounced a, quote, spectacular potential major league city. Backed by MLB Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, the team demanded relief, saying that they might go bankrupt without a renegotiated lease. Pirates captain Willie Stargell testified at a seven-and-a-half-hour-long city council meeting, and the city voted to take over maintenance responsibilities, thus saving the Pirates for Pittsburgh. But today, Buster, we take a look at the New Orleans Pirates, and they are this week's Phantom franchise. And Todd, you know what's amazing about that is, is that that was just a couple of years after they had won the World Series against the Baltimore Orioles. And I was thinking about this. You and I grew up with the Pirates being this monster team. Like, this was a powerhouse team that every year they were in the playoff conversation. Very different perception than what it is now. Buster, about seven or eight years ago, when the Baltimore Orioles, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Kansas City Royals were coming up for air after years in the baseball wilderness, the Royals go to two straight World Series. They win one. The Pirates made some postseason appearances. Taylor's Orioles uh, making some postseason appearances then, too. And I couldn't help but think of the fact that these were baseball powerhouses uh, when we were growing up, to your point. The Pittsburgh Pirates won a World Series in 1979 playing Baltimore. Can you imagine? Yeah. No, they they were they were a, a, an incredible team. And, in fact, I've always thought, I know their fan base is really upset with the team because they took the payroll down, which is fair. But I've always thought that uh, the teams from 2013, 14, 15 never really got the credit that they deserved because they, they were great teams. And in back-to-back years, they ran into Madison Bumgarner at the beginning of the greatest postseason of any pitcher in our lifetime. And the next year, they ran into Jake Arrieta, Arrieta at the, sec- at the uh, end of the greatest run we've ever seen for any pitcher in the second half of any season. And they were just unlucky. Uh, you know, it, it didn't work out. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, the standings are as follows. Buster with 11, Sarah with 7, Taylor with 6. So here we go. This team removed the image of their mascot from their uniforms because they deemed it bad luck, then added it back seven decades later. Was it A, the St. Louis Browns? Was it B, the Washington Senators? Was it C, the Giants? Or was it D, the athletics, they removed the image of their mascot from their uniforms because they deemed it bad luck, and then they added it back seven decades later. St. Louis Browns, Senators, Giants, or Athletics? Wow. Uh, Taylor, you want to go first? Sure. I'll go with the Browns. Uh, Sarah? I'm going to go with option B. The Washington Senators. Okay, and I am, ah, golly, this is one that I'm embarrassed that I don't know better. Uh, I will go with the athletics. Well, Buster, you are right. You are correct because in the early 1920s, the athletics removed their elephant mascot from their uniforms because, well, they sold off the entire team after having won the 1913 World Series and lost the 1914 World Series, but they brought it back in the late 80s 
and they go to, uh, what, three straight World Series back then, 88, 89, 90. So, Buster, you're correct. Congratulations. Thank you. Who would have known that Connie Mack, you know, would, would have managed so long and managed so many bad teams and would cite luck as potentially being a factor, Todd? That makes no sense to me. Well, you know, having being the manager and owning the team, that's a whole different dynamic. Not unlike King Charles III in the U.K., you know, (laughs) dynastic stuff. That was a hard beer. All right, Todd, thank you. (laughs) All right, guys, thanks. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper the one fans deserve. Kimberly Kimberly Garhart at Jolly Bone writes in, looked at the standings in detail this morning, and four teams with 90-plus losses. What's the chance all of them finish with 100 losses? What's the chance all teams in the AL East finish above 500? Hoping my Red Sox can get it together. Yeah, I, I and I, I don't off the top of my head. I don't know what the Red Sox record is. I don't think they're going to get above five hundred. Um, and yeah, I think there are a lot of teams that are going to lose hundred games this year. It's part of the. Uh, I think they're that the beginning of the year about twenty percent of the teams were tanking. That kind of stinks. We've been talking about it. It's 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 terrible. Mm-hmm. I you, you hate it. You hate the fact that you know we still got two weeks left in the regular season, and besides the National League Wild Card race and the NL East. Uh, there really isn't aren't a lot of races going on. There's not a lot of back and forth. It seems like so much is decided. And part of the reason why is because I think some teams are like, nope, we give up. And that was back in March. Right. And even the enticement of that last playoff spot not really making any moves. As your them. Orioles demonstrated, apparently. <laughs> yes, I guess I guess they did not care about that. Uh, let's go to Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. I think I know which oh, way you're going to. Let me clarify that, Taylor. Yes. As the front office and the ownership demonstrated the winner. I know that the players cared and I know right. that the staff cared, but not the front office, not the ownership. <laughs> Buster, just looking out for the Orioles, everyone. He's not a hater. He's just a, a careful eye on them. Uh, Mitchell writes in, which breakout pitcher would you take in a must win? Framber Valdez or Dylan Cease? Dylan Cease because he's a swing and miss guy. I remember a conversation with John Smoltz. Uh, I think this is like back in like 2002, 2003. And he said in the postseason, in a must win game, you want a guy who misses bats. Last one for today. A silent flute writes in. What do you think the Orioles will do in the offseason as far as acquiring any free agent talent? I believe Michael Elias intimated that they're going to make some serious moves for the first time in a long time. What gaps need filling? So the word he used was significant, okay? And we're going to find out what significant actually means. They have a bunch of players uh, who, have, who, because they're eligible for arbitration, are going to see significant increases in salary. So will the Orioles simply uh, you know, work through those arbitration cases and say, hey, we increased our payroll significantly, or will they actually go out and spend a lot of money? We'll have to wait and see. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games. Thanks for writing in, everyone. What a podcast today. That's it for today. My thanks to Mike Trout, Michael Kay, John Sterling, Todd Radom, Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. 
One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.